0: Thanks, Sarah, <laughs> uh, it's good to be with you this morning. And um, we're actually coming to the end. That this is our last, um, our last week in Abide. And uh, I feel like we've we've come a long way, starting at the end of Luke, and now we've come through Acts together. Um, And we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. And and the video that we started with is is kind of the the introduction to what's going on. Um, Have you ever noticed, you you might have lived long enough to see this, um, teenagers, you will will know this soon, um, the chapter that you meet somebody in, in their life, is going to shape how you view them, but that's not necessarily who they are. Uh, I saw, a, a, I think it was probably a Facebook post or something uh, that said, if you, met, if you knew me in high school, I'm not that person anymore. Come and introduce yourself and we can like meet again. Um, and, and somebody commented, yeah, if we met in high school, you don't know me and I don't want to talk to you. So don't come and introduce yourself. It's kind of a, a joke. Um, the chapter that you meet somebody in isn't necessarily who they are. And when we look at the life of a fella named Saul, um, that's that's kind of it. You, when you, If you had met him before those chapters, this guy was kind of a know-it-all. He, he thought he had the world figured out. And not only did he have the world figured out for himself, he had the world figured out for you and you and you and you. And he was going to make sure that you knew what you were supposed to be doing. And if you wouldn't do it, then he would make sure that you got corrected. So... The the introduct or Pastor Matt shared with us last week about um, the appointing of deacons in the church and the beginning of um, figuring out how do we as a group of followers of Jesus actually get along and do stuff and it required some deacons that were supposed to serve and and, there's, uh, and in that setting they appoint Stephen who was just a normal guy. Um, he, was, he was honorable, he did good work, he wasn't, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a church planter, he was just Stephen, he was a Greek. Um, and they said, you know what, Stephen, like, you are awesome and we want you to help us take care of these responsibilities that we have as serving widows. And he steps up and he does it. But the next very next chapter, Stephen is talking to some Jews who don't believe and don't follow Jesus. And th- the end of that is they pick up rocks and they kill Stephen. And there's a fella who was pretty happy about that on the sidelines. There's a guy kind of standing there, and he's like, you know what, let me hold your coat. It looks like it's hard to throw rocks if you've got all that stuff on. Let me hold your coat for you. Um, And his name was Saul. And so the chapter, if we'd have met Saul in the life of Acts chapter 3 or 4, he was a know-it-all, and he was a mean know-it-all. He was going to make sure you did the right thing, or you just got your ticket out of here. But what happens when somebody like that interacts with Jesus in a real way? What, is it, what happens when Jesus interrupts his most violent persecutor and says, hey, I've got something else for you. And I wonder if that's true for you. I wonder if you think back on different, um, I hate putting it this way, it sounds so like hippy-dippy, but old versions of yourself. Different chapters of your life that you were in, you think back, like, oh, what, people who knew me then, like, I feel so sorry for them, I was not a nice person, or, or uh, you know, like, we, we all can, <laughs> I, won't, I won't press that too hard, because we can all fill in that blank pretty readily for ourselves, myself included, um, but does that change our interactions with Jesus today? Let's pray together, Jesus, um, we thank you that you care about us and you love us enough to come and meet us where we are, and you love us enough to disrupt us and to tr- to move us to somewhere different and God that 's a painful process for us. you know that you oftentimes are gentle But even if you're not gentle, you know the right thing to do. And so, God, we just ask that you would help us to submit to your will. We ask that you would give us what we need today. So that you can bring all glory and honor to your name. And we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you'd like to follow along with us, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you are using the Blue Bibles here, uh, either in the chair in front of you or underneath your chair, that's on page 1145, 1145 in the Blue Bibles, or you can navigate to Acts chapter 9. And the video that we watched covers the first couple of verses um, pretty well. I love, like, (laughs) I'm, maybe it's because I have six of them. But I love material produced for children. I feel like when we try to break it down for kids, we just get to the heart of it, and we like it. To, so, like that video is for kids, but I saw it and was like, no, nope, that's good. That's what we need. We're gonna we're gonna be kids for a minute. And if Jesus says that you have to be like kids to inherit the kingdom of God, who am I to argue with him? So we're gonna be in Acts chapter nine, and we're gonna start in verse nineteen. So kind of in the middle of this chapter. Um, And because of the way that the English Standard Version, the ESV, breaks it up, 19 actually is the end of a paragraph. Uh, And then right there above, Saul proclaims Jesus in the synagogues is the heading. So, Acts chapter 19. Let's read together the first couple of verses here. And taking food, he, Paul, was strengthened. Saul, excuse me. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Saul... We've, we've covered kind of his backstory. He, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was a Jew through and through to the end. He was born a Jew. His mom was a Jew. His dad was a Jew. We all have inherited the promises of God and he knew what he was supposed to be doing so much that he was willing to persecute, to bind Uh, to carry off to prison people who were teaching something false in his mind, something that was opposite of what he was thinking. We are waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah hasn't come yet. And so if you're following a false Messiah, let me put you in prison or let me kill you. We'll put an end to this Jesus thing. And so this person that he had been persecuting meets him on the road, blinds his eyes. He doesn't eat or drink for three days, you know, dry fast and... Opens up his eyes again, and what's interesting to me, <laughs> I, t- I like if I had met Jesus on the road, I would think that my relationship with him would be pretty special. Like me and Jesus are tight, and maybe maybe I'd get the idea in my head that I'd be like Moses. I could just go in the tent, and then I could talk to Jesus face to face. The time that Saul talked to Jesus face to face, it did not go well for him, and it's kind of the last time he does it. When 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 Saul begins to see again, Jesus uses another of his servants. He sends Ananias to come and pray for him. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus is using the people that are following him to do his work. That seems like giving the blind back their sight. That seems like Jesus' thing, right? And yet he's taken a guy who thought that he saw. He was a Pharisee. He thought that I see everything clearly, Jesus makes him blind, and now to restore his sight, to help him to see clearly again, he sends a disciple. He doesn't come himself. and This is the only record we have of Ananias. Like, He's just a guy praying, and he goes and he prays for Saul, and Saul gets his eyes, can see again. We don't know what happened before, we don't know what happened next. But it's interesting that Jesus entrusts his work to those who follow him. We've seen that already in this series. Jesus entrusts his work to those who follow him and now we're seeing that Jesus entrusts his work to all who follow him because it seems like Saul now is following Jesus he 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 was baptized and he ate some food finally after three days and he gained his strength and he goes to preach in the synagogues and he's claiming hey Jesus is the son of God the thing that i had been trying to snuff out the thing that I wanted to destroy like now that is the thing that is 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 Uh, encapsulating my life like this has marked me All of those things that I used to consider as as valuable to me, like, that's not it. Like, Jesus is the Son of God, and that changes my life. He even goes on, he writes a letter to the Philippians, and it'll actually be the next letter that we study together. But in in the first part of Philippians chapter 3, he lists out the things that were going good for him. And he says, I consider all those things garbage, worse than garbage, medical garbage, like in the red bags, like yucky, don't touch it. I consider all that good stuff, garbage compared to knowing jesus and i lay my life down to follow him and it's it's such a a difference between those who he describes at the end of that chapter in philippians 3 who says their god is their belly they do whatever they're hungry for they follow their heart they follow whatever it is that happens to come across like oh that's shiny i want to to pursue that. Their God is their belly. And that verse has come to mind a lot over the last couple of weeks as we've been fasting together. Like, is my God my belly? Do I do I behave just to satiate, satiate my appetite? What would I do for a Kit Kat bar? Is it Kit Kat? What's the thing? Snickers? Klondike bar, what would you do for Klondike bar? Like, yeah, our God, is, especially here in America, our God is our belly. Like, I just don't want to be hungry. So I hope that this season has been refreshing for you. To feel something a little bit different, that, that twitch, like, oh, I got to check that feed. Oh, I got to, oh, I got to, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, God, would you turn that hunger to hunger for you? And that's what we see with Saul. They're confused because this is the guy who came to stomp out those who were following the way, those who were following Jesus. And now he's preaching in that name. What do we do? He increased in strength all the more and more and everybody's confused. I wonder who do we think of as beyond Jesus's reach? Who is so far gone? Not just so far gone. Who is so far opposed to the work of Jesus in the world? Who is violently persecuting the church? Who are the people that we look at and go, there's no way that Jesus is ever going to get a hold of their heart? Who are the people who are so set in their ways, who know what is right, that they're willing not only to arrest people, but to kill people to make sure that they do the right thing in their way? Who do we think of as beyond Jesus' reach? And and with the political environment that we've had over the last year or so, like we could have a multiple different answers to that. We might say conservatives are, are beyond Jesus' reach. They've set up a false idol that they're worshiping and they're calling Jesus and they're storming the Capitol in the name of Christ, which doesn't make any sense. Like that, that's not what he did. Or we could look at the liberals and say they are obviously attacking God, they're God haters, and they're opposed to everything that's that's against God. And we might say, like, they're beyond Jesus' reach and I just remind you of Saul in the chapter of his life not only willing to persecute those of the way but willing to imprison them and to make sure that they were executed anybody who followed the name of Jesus but in later chapters would say I give everything for that name. I will follow that man to my grave. Throw rocks at me and I'll walk to the next town to tell them about Jesus. Wreck my ship. Bite me with serpents and I'll press on. Beat me. Within inches of my life, and I will crawl through the dust to tell the guards that you have imprisoned me with the name who has saved me. From all of those things that I once counted as riches and wealth of honor, I have laid them all aside and count them garbage. And all I need in my life is to know Jesus. Who is it that we think is beyond Jesus' reach? Here's our big idea for the morning. Jesus, I think, delights in turning our brokenness upside down. He loves it. This is the God who created the world. He made everything and it was good and it was good and it was good and he made man and he said, it is very good. Man and woman in my image and my likeness, it is very good. And, and we rebelled and we brought brokenness in and now it is Jesus' delight. To turn our brokenness upside down. And there's times where we fight him on it, isn't there? There's times where we say, Gee, like, this brokenness is all that I know. Like, it's not great, but it's comfortable to me. Like, would you just leave me alone? Would you just let me have this little bit of sin? Like, this is all I really want. Like, can you just leave me? Just let, just let me deal with this. And Jesus' delight is to turn our brokenness upside down to say, this is not good for you. I've taken it and I have forgiven it. Let it go. Repent and follow me. Jesus delights in turning our brokenness upside down. And Saul is a living example. Was a living example. He's not living anymore. You know what I mean. (laughs) Let's continue to read. In verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates and Day and night, in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how, on the road, he had seen the Lord, who had spoke to him, and now at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he, Saul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Let's pause there. So he's preaching in Damascus. Things are going great. But the Jews, the people he's kind of teaching, like not against, but he's saying, look, Jesus is the Messiah. Like you've got to take another step in this following of, of the Lord. You've got to take another step and trust that Jesus is the Messiah. And they start saying, you know what? We're going to have to get rid of him too. And you know what's crazy? Saul knew their tricks. He was head honcho hitman guy, like not 10 verses ago, right? And so when you, you lay out a plot to kill Saul, Saul knows that game. He, he wrote the playbook. So he hears about it. He's like, all right, well, I'm getting out of town. And he grabs a rope and they grab a basket. And the people that trust, or the people that are, are loving Paul, they let him out of town through a basket because he can't go by the gates and he escapes and he goes to Jerusalem and you're thinking all right, all's well that ends well he's going to Jerusalem he's there where the spirit was poured out on the church of God and the Holy Spirit has given revelation of truth and grace to the apostles and he's like yes I'm going to go and I'm going to connect with them and he shows up and they won't let him in the door what do you mean Saul's here like that guy comes with a sword he's only saying he's an apostle He's he's only saying he's a disciple of Jesus he's trying to get in with us so he can kill us we don't trust him Bummer. I thought these church people had it all together. I thought once you followed Jesus, you didn't make any mistakes about judgment of people's character. I thought, I, thought, I thought once you followed Jesus, like you knew who was in and who was out. Well, at the very least, the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, they would have known. They would show kindness and grace even to the enemies of Christ. No! They ain't trying to die! They live to preach another day, right? They're not letting them in. And Barnabas, he's got a funny name, but you got to love his heart. Barnabas is a guy that's among the, the apostles and the disciples and he's grabbing on. and He says, wait a second. Jesus says to, he used to say, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute. Maybe I should go and talk to this guy. And he goes and he talks to him and he says, Paul, for real, what's going on? Jesus, like, I'm all about Jesus. Like Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one who's changed my life, and all these things that I used to cling to, I don't cling to anymore. And now, like I just got to preach Christ. He says, you you preach that? He's like, yeah, I just I was just preaching that. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was just preaching that up the road in Damascus. So much so that they wanted to kill me. I had to leave out of a basket. said, all right. I don't know if he sent messengers back to Damascus to kind of verify, trust but verify. You know, I don't know how it works. But Barnabas took the risk. He stepped out to somebody that seemed to be beyond Jesus' reach and says, Checks out, guys. Paul, Paul, Paul's different. Jesus got a hold of his life. And so now Paul can go in and out with the apostles. He can, they can discuss theology. They can travel together, journey together, build community together. It's pretty neat. And, and how did he get there? Just a little guy named Barnabas who thought, maybe I should go talk to that guy who seems like he's out of the circle. Maybe I should see what his story is. I know the other chapters of his book, but maybe God's writing a new story now. So Saul stands firm as a witness of Jesus' resurrection and and Barnabas stands firm, but they're standing firm in different ways. You see that? Saul is standing firm in preaching the gospel. Jesus is the son of God and he's willing to die for it. Barnabas is preaching it by going to the one who's outside and saying, tell me your story. What's going on? Will we stand as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? Some of us, that means we're going to stand up and preach and boldly proclaim to crowns and crowns and crowns. But I suspect that most of us are Barnabas. Most of us have that one or two or three friends that we go to and say, hey, I know some of the dark chapters of your story. But Jesus could write a new one in your life. Because Jesus delights, delights in turning our brokenness upside down. Let's continue reading. And Saul, he spoke and disputed with the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him (laughs) again. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So, Saul, this guy who'd gone out to destroy the church, ends up being one who brings peace and through whom there's much fruit. For God. There's there's a growing and a building up, there's a strengthening, and as the tree grows and strengthens, it bears fruit. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What does a community that walks in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit look like in a world as crazy as ours right now? Yeah, it looks even crazier. But I wonder if a little bit of calm in the midst of the storm might be just the thing that some people's soul is longing for. And I don't know what the environment was at Jerusalem in the time. But that community, walking together in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, led to the multiplication of people who would follow Jesus. Fruit is interesting to me. I don't know if you realize this. Flowers are pretty. Flowers are the first stage of fruit. So the flower falls off and the seeds inside, those become the fruit. And the fruit is the thing that as we, we as Americans in particular, we think, oh, that's the thing I get to eat. But for the farmer, the fruit has two purposes. Um, Not always in agriculture today. Um, but in some instances. I'm not going to get into it. I could bore you a lot. But the fruit is not only the thing you can sell to people who want to eat it, but is the thing that you can cut and keep the seeds from. The, The fruit is the seed bearer. And the seeds in the fruit are the key to the future crops. Bearing fruit is not just fruit that we get to eat, but it also is a replicating thing. And I think that's why, as as Luke describes what's happening in the church in Jerusalem right now, it's not just that people are added, because people have been added to the number of the church for the, the first eight chapters, but here the people are not just added, they are multiplied. It's because Jesus got a hold of somebody's heart. Somebody was willing to let go of some of their brokenness. Jesus turned it upside down and took one of his most violent enemies and turned him into his most uh, uh, passionate ambassadors. Sent him to a, a community of people who were kind of hesitant to let him in at first. But then because he's proclaiming Christ and together the church there walks together in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They multiply. We read together in the beginning in Acts chapter 1 and, and verse 8. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yep. In Judea. Uh, so the church throughout all Judea. Okay, yeah. And Samaria and Galilee and Samaria. Yep. Mm-hmm. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's going to take a couple chapters before we see the shape of the story, but next stop is the end of the earth. And Paul is the vessel, Saul, Paul is the vessel that's going to carry it. Not without suffering, because God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering, but our God leads us through the valley of the shadow. He walks with us. So, what could Jesus turn upside down in us? Church. Wherever we are, what is is something that Jesus could turn upside down in us? What is something maybe that we're scared to let go of, that we're scared to give him control of? Jesus delights in turning our brokenness upside down, but we've got to let go of it first. We've got to call it what it is. We've got to call it broken. We've got to call it sin. And we've got to acknowledge that Jesus has paid for it in full. And that in his hands, our brokenness turned upside down can saturate our community to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And just saying that makes me thirsty to see it happen. What could Jesus turn upside down in us? Because Jesus delights to turn our brokenness upside down. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God. We acknowledge how great you are. You have made everything that exists, the sun, moon, and stars, and heavens, dimensions that we don't understand, have never seen, but you have made them. The principles that our world works by gravity and such, these are all your ideas, and you are great and marvelous. And yet you bend your ear to creatures as small as us, to hear us when we pray to you. And yet you send your son to die for broken and sinful creatures that would rebel against you so that you might win us back. God, would you give us the faith to trust Christ? If we've never, if our heart has never made that turn, would you lead our hearts, draw our hearts to make that turn today? And Lord, if we have made that turn, would you renew the joy of our salvation today. Would you help us as we lay aside our brokenness, as we are transparent with you and transparent with one another. And God, would you make us a community that gives life to our neighbors, a faith family that you are building up and bearing fruit in. Whatever it is that you ask of us, you are our Lord and King. We submit ourselves to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.